Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. with me to Jeremiah the 12th chapter the prophet Jeremiah chapter 12 we're going to start reading with the first verse I'm going to read in the King James and then I'll break it down for you Jeremiah 12 1 righteous art thou O Lord when I plead with thee yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them. Yea, they have taken root. They grow. Yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. But thou, O Lord, knows me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long shall the land mourn, and the herbs of every field wither, for the wickedness of them that dwell therein? The beasts are consumed, and the birds, because they said, He shall not see our last end. If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trusted, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan. I want to talk to you this morning about running with the horses. I want to start out with a little story that's true, most of it, 90% of it. More of it's true than not. But I can remember when I was in basic training, uh, this was some years ago, 1969 to be exact. I had a drill sergeant who was so mean his imaginary friends hated him. And I was a young man back then, 21 years of age, and I, I felt like I was in pretty good physical shape, having played baseball all my life. And, of course, being from Chicago, I thought I was pretty tough, too. As a matter of fact, I thought I was Superman. <laughs> Don't laugh. Superman was my hero. And when I was a kid, I used to tie a towel around my neck, and I'd go running through the house like I was flying, and then I'd jump up in the air and land on the bed or on the sofa or something like that, you know. And uh, one time I overran the runway, and I wound up between the nightstand and the wall. (laughs) My mom had to pull me out. But one year I got a Superman costume, and uh, it was for Halloween. Back then I celebrated it as a kid. Now we celebrate the harvest, but back then that was Halloween. And this costume had the cape and everything, and it had these, uh, they weren't boots, but they were a plastic thing you put over your leg, and it sat on top of your boots, so it looked like black Superman boots, you know. And, man, I looked just like Superman. I felt like Superman. I mean, when I put that costume on, it was like Superman entered in. (laughs) I was faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings with a single bound. I had powers and abilities beyond those of mortal men. I could change the course of mighty rivers and bend steel with my bare hands. Now, I really believed that. I felt that. And, you know, Pastor Ed keeps telling me I ain't Superman no more, and she tries to discourage me. And, of course, I, you know, I kind of have to agree with her. You know, it would be silly and just borderline crazy for me to think like that anymore. <laughs> well, anyway, here I am at boot camp. With that Superman mentality, that Superman attitude, thinking, how tough can this be for Superman? You know, I heard a lot of stories about boot camp, but I'm Superman, right? 
And, and you know what? It didn't take me long to find out how tough it would be because that drill sergeant made me cry like a fourth grade schoolgirl by the first week, by the end of the first week. And my, sin, my, my Superman syndrome disappeared, and, and mainly because he wouldn't let me wear my costume. But I didn't realize it, but everything that I thought I knew was wrong. And uh, I had to relearn how to walk, how to run, how to exercise, how to fold my clothes, how to keep my mouth shut and how to open it. I had to learn all these things. I had, had to learn how to make a bed and clean a room and polish a floor. And, and I thought I was in pretty good physical shape back then. I was a, a lean, mean, 190 pounds, six foot tall. And, and you know, I, like I said, I played baseball, but I'm telling you, by the time that first week was over, I had muscles and bones hurting me I didn't even know I had in my body. Right. And, and I found out that I really wasn't as in good a shape as I thought I was, and the physical training was the hardest part of it all. I started out really hating this drill sergeant because he pushed us pretty hard, but by the time it was all over, I had a profound respect for him. And I realized that he pushed me so hard so that I would become a better soldier, a better warrior, and I would do better on the battlefield. And I learned to become more focused than I ever thought I could be because they taught us how to have a vision. They taught us how to focus on things. They taught us what our objective was, and we couldn't look at anything but that objective until we achieved it. And I learned how to be more honorable to work harder, to be successful in everything I put my hand to because I knew I wasn't going to quit until I got it done. And I realized he's being hard on us because he's preparing us for war. And he knew uh, that the more he could make us sweat on the training field, the less we would bleed on the battlefield. And so he had to push us. And we didn't realize it at first. And everything we did had to be done to perfection. He didn't settle for, well, you almost made it. You almost cleared that wall. You almost ran that, that uh, five miles. No, it had to be the whole thing or nothing at all. And, and, and we did everything as a team, everything as a family, Brother Hollis. I mean, it's, it's just like the church. And, and there were plenty of times I completed the training exercise and thought I did good only to find out I had to do it over again because one guy didn't do it. One guy wasn't able to complete it. And because of him, everybody had to do it over again. And, and, and so at first we were hard on that guy that didn't finish it. We gave him dirty looks, pushed him around and stuff. But, but we soon realized that part of our job was to make him successful. The drill sergeant didn't tell us that. He didn't teach us that. He just kept pushing. And then we realized that part of our job was to make him successful, and we learned that we were only as successful as the least successful me member of our team. And so when that guy was struggling, we picked him up. We helped him. We carried him across that finish line. We pushed him over that wall. We helped balance him on that log. Uh, we had to walk. Uh, we had to crawl 40 yards on our chest. And if you lifted your chest even one inch off the ground, you had to go back and do it again. And, and we had trouble getting through that because people uh, would lift up their chest and stuff. So we got sandbags and we put it on the back of that guy that was struggling to keep his chest on the ground. And it is hard. And it's hard to keep your chest on the ground. You keep wanting to lift it up, wanting to lift it up. But if you lift your head up in the battlefield, you're going to get it blown off. And so we realized that's why he pushed us like that. We had to crawl under barbed wire and all kinds of stuff. And, and we realized that there was no shortcuts. There was no easy way to do things. You did it right or you didn't do it at all. And, and, and before I, I got there, I used to like doing things the easy way. Anybody like that? We look for the easy way out. You know, uh, a wise manager of mine once told me, he says, if you want to find a shortcut on a job, give it to a lazy man. He'll find a shortcut. And so, you know, I learned from that old drill sergeant that I needed to start doing things his way. If I wanted to be successful, I had to start doing things the right way, the hard way, the way that was going to get me the, the results that I needed. 
I learned that on, uh, that on the battlefield, only the strong are going to survive. And when I got that into my head, I wanted to be stronger. I wanted to help my brother be stronger. And so boot camp was uh, like the opening scripture says, talking about running with footmen and they wearied you. Boot camp was a footman for me. Boot, man was, uh, boot camp was a footman for, for those soldiers because we wanted to survive on the battlefield because on the battlefield, we've been running with horses. And if the footmen worried, worried us, if the footmen wore us out, how would we run with the horses? And I'm telling you, we were training for Vietnam. And they said some of them drill sergeants had assistance that came from Vietnam because they'd get drafted, spend, you know, two months in training, go to Vietnam for 12 months, come back, and, and unless they were going to reenlist, they didn't have enough time to really do anything. So they would put them as drill sergeant assistants and stuff. And they were some pretty tough dudes, but they told us there were times they had to run through jungles for five miles. And he said, if you didn't keep up, he said, uh, Charlie would have got you. That's what they call the Vietnamese. Charlie would have got you. And so they pushed us. And I'm telling you, it was hard. We started out there, that first week. We had to run a mile. And then just when I started feeling good about that, he said, tomorrow we're going to run two miles. And before you leave boot camp, you're going to run five miles in the morning. In order to get into the mess hall for breakfast, you had to do a 40-yard low crawl, a run, dodge, and jump, and then horizontal ladders that led into the mess hall. If you couldn't do it, you didn't get in the mess hall. You didn't eat. You couldn't run to the local dominoes or something. They didn't have none. You was on a secure base. Hallelujah. But, you know, getting back to our opening scripture, I told that story. It'll make sense here in a minute, but... Let me give you a little background of Jeremiah and the tribe of Judah and the children of Israel at this, at this time. There's a small group of people in Israel, and as a matter of fact, they were from the, the uh, tribe of Judah, God's pride. Judah was God's pride. And, and Judah, was, Judah means praise, and they were God's praisers. But here they're frustrated and discouraged, and some of them even a little bit angry. And they've been watching some of the people around them being blessed by God when they weren't being blessed. And they had a hard time with this. They were jealous, and it upset them because other people were getting blessed, and they weren't. Hmm. I mean, is it possible that we're a lot more like the children of Israel than we think we are? Is it possible that there's people in today's society that would think the same way as they did? I mean, all these things in the Old Testament happened as examples for us. So it's telling me we should learn lessons from the things that happened to the children of Israel so we don't have to go through them. God showed us this. He said, look what happened to them when they did this. Get a clue. Don't do this. And so, you know, uh, you look at people that you know, relatives and friends, and you sometimes wonder, how are they getting blessed and I'm not? They don't go to church. They don't know God. They don't serve God. And yet they're getting blessed. And this is what Israel is thinking here. Those wicked people are getting blessed ahead of me, and I'm a child of God. I mean, you watch people get good jobs with good benefits, and you got to work as a laborer for Brother Will. you got to flip hamburgers at McDonald's. Just kidding, Brother Will. I know it's a good job, but it's hard work. <laughs> I worked with Brother Will here on the wall back there at the church. He's a slave driver. <laughs> Tell him, Andrew, he wants them bricks and he wants them now. <laughs> that mortar ready yet? You better get it ready. <laughs> but, you know, you watch people you know move into new houses and you're struggling to pay the light bill in your efficiency apartment. And you're wondering why. And you may not want to admit it, but I know I felt that way. I felt that way as a young pastor of other churches. We started our church at the same time. Why are they growing and we're not? Why do they have a new building and I'm patching holes in the roof? It ain't fair, God. And I was whining and complaining just like Israel's doing here. Why are they growing? Why do they have a new building? Why do they have a parking lot and I got to spray weeds in a gravel parking lot? We graduated since then, though. But these are thoughts that I had. I didn't tell nobody. I kept them to myself. I might have mentioned it to Pastorette. But, but I, for the most part, I kept them to myself. 
And, and this is why this small segment of the children of Israel were frustrated and discouraged. Because life wasn't going well for them while it seemed like everyone around them was being blessed and prospering. And so they had to blame somebody. So guess who they blame? God. Just like Adam and Eve, you know, uh, when they sinned, uh, they started passing the buck, you know. Eve said, this serpent, he did beguile me. And Adam said, this woman that you gave me, it's your fault. If you would never gave me this woman, I wouldn't be here now. And so these people do the same thing. They're feeling like God had forgotten them, or worse yet, he was rejecting them. You can look at me in that tone of voice, but I know you, you felt that way. And it is in this setting that these people go to their pastor, Jeremiah the prophet, and ask him to petition God on their behalf. Because back then, that's pretty much how it was. You know, uh, the average person, the layman, couldn't go before God. It had to be a representative. And so they go to Jeremiah, their representative, and, and they say, go to God. Tell him how we feel. Speak for us on our behalf. Intercede for us. Pray for us. And this is what we have in the first four verses of chapter 12. Jeremiah is doing all the talking. And so he goes to God with the problems of these discouraged and disgruntled and frustrated people. And he starts out in verse 1. He starts out good. Righteous are thou, are thou, Lord, when I plead with thee. In other words, when I plead my case with you, when I pray and petition you, you are right on. All your advice is right. Your answers are right. All the solutions to my problems are right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And then he goes south. He started out praying real good, but then he starts whining and complaining. I know you never prayed like that. He says, yet, let me talk with thee of thy judgments. And what the prophet is really saying is, I'm having some issues with your latest decisions. I, you do good when I plead with you, but I'm having some issues with some of your latest decisions. And here's one of them. Why are the wicked so prosperous and I'm not? Why are evil people so happy when I ain't? Now, he's supposed to be talking for the people, but he turned this into a personal thing with God. Why are they doing so well and I'm not? They don't go to church. They don't pray. They don't quote scriptures. They don't read the word. They ain't even trying to do right. And here I am. I carry my Bible, pay my tithes, give offerings. I have a Jesus bumper sticker on my car. I go to church on Sunday and Wednesday. They don't even think about going, why are they doing good and I'm not? I leave my apartment in the morning. And I'm hoping my hoopty will start. And I look at my neighbor. He's washing a brand new car. Hooked to a boat. It ain't right. It ain't right. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are they happy when I'm so miserable? Why are they doing well when they're mean as a snake? That's what I want to know. I mean, that's what the people want to know. And then Jeremiah, he gets a little bolder. And in verse 2, he says, You have planted them, and they have taken root and prospered. In other words, it's your fault because you're the one planted them there. Your name is on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. Maybe they went to church once in a while. I don't know. Maybe they knew the lingo and they spoke churchy at times, but their heart was far from God. They, you know, Facebook. In other words, he says, I'm holding you responsible because you're the one that planted them. Did you ever blame God for anything? I know you did. He says, you're the one that prospered them and allowed them to bear fruit. They are where they're at because of you. And even the ones that go to church, they talk like Christians, but they're far from your influence and your control. In other words, they just don't do anything you tell them to. They're not doers of your word. And... and Here's the truth now. I mean, Jeremiah's theology is all messed up here. His theology is wrong. 
But how many knows that people are successful for one reason and one reason only, whether they're wicked or righteous, is because God showed them mercy and God helped them and God allowed them to be. Even the wicked. Jesus said when it rains, it rains on the just and the unjust alike. So don't ever get the big head and start thinking that you're so wonderful because you're not. But for God, there go you. And you're only two paychecks away from the soup line and one check paycheck away from the unemployment line. I mean, the unemployment line. And remember this, if anyone is successful at all, it's because of the mercy and goodness of God. And then Jeremiah's pride kicks in and he starts bragging on himself. He says, but as for me, Lord, you know my heart. You see me and test my thoughts. Come on, God, me and you are tight. You know I'm your man. Talisha would say, you know I'm your dog. But we're like two peas in a pod, guy. God, me and you are like this. He says, you've tested me and tried me, and I passed all your trials. And then he says, but as for these people, the wicked people that are prospering, he said, drag these people away like sheep to be butchered, set them aside to be slaughtered. So he's suggesting to God that God should take them out and kill them. I know it sounds sounds strange, but that's what it says here. And it's because he somehow thinks that if God takes them out and kills them, then the blessings that they were getting would fall to them. It's like a card game. I don't know if you ever played poker, but the guy next to you throws his cards in. You say, man, if you'd have dropped out in that last round, I'd have got that ace. And so that's what he's thinking here. If you kill them, then the blessing would have to come to me. And and take their blessings and give them to me. Kill them. You must be blessing them by mistake. How many of those God don't make mistakes? This is how people feel sometimes. I know it sounds crazy, but there's an error in their theology. Besides, I mean, don't ever act like you didn't want God to take somebody out. I don't know if you actually wanted him to kill them, but I know you wanted to, God to get some people out of your life. And there were times in my life when I wanted to push somebody down the stairs and tell God they tripped. Ask my kids. I even told them at times, I'll kill you until God you died. And furthermore, he'll believe me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But Israel wasn't kidding. They really wanted God to take them out. But, you know, instead of being jealous of your neighbor, when you see him getting blessed, think of it like this. God's in the neighborhood. And I might be next. And if he's blessing this joker, he's blessing Joe Sinner next door to me. I wonder what he's got for me because I have been trying to live right. That's right. But we get jealous and we get mad because somebody got a new car, we didn't. Somebody got a new home and we didn't. And we should be blessed when they get blessed. Amen. Jesus said to even love your enemies. Yes. So if we're supposed to love our enemies, then we shouldn't be wanting God to kill them because they're getting blessed. Right. It's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If God did that for them... And they don't even go to church, can't quote one scripture, don't even own a Bible, don't pay tithe, don't even praise God. If he did it for them, I can't wait to see what he's going to do for me. We have to develop some patience. We are not patient. Amen. We need to be patient with some things. We think, well, I'm going to try tithing. And for three weeks, we tithe and found out it don't work. It takes a little longer. Have some patience. I don't care what it is in life. If it's worth having, it's worth waiting for. Yes, amen. And don't ever be jealous of what God does from somebody else, even if you don't like him. And then in verse 4, he says, How long must this land mourn? Even the grass in the fields has withered. 
The wild animals and birds have disappeared because of the evil in the land. The land is cursed because of the evil, because of the wicked people that are living here. For the people have said, the Lord doesn't see what's ahead for us. How many knows the Lord, the Lord sees what's ahead for us? And, and if, if he sees we're going in the wrong direction, headed for the wrong thing, he tries to warn us. He tries to give us direction. He tries to steer us away from those things and get us on the path towards his will. But here's another error in Jeremiah's theology. He thinks that the land is mourning and not prospering because of the wicked people that are living there, because of the wickedness that's in the land. And he's come to the conclusion that if a nation isn't prospering and there is evil in the land, it's because that there are wicked people living in it. And he believed God, they believe God judges a nation because of what the wicked people are doing. And it sounds good on the surface, especially if you think about it a minute. You could talk yourself into that. It's the wicked people's fault. I ain't prospering. The land ain't prospering because of the wicked people. Kill them, God. I've actually heard big name preachers. If I mention their name, you know them. That's why I say they're big name. They said if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because America is twice as bad. First of all, God never did or ever will do anything he has to apologize for. And second, if you want the truth, God will not judge a nation because of the wicked people or the evil that's in the nation. Amen. Dogs bark. Cats meow. Sinners sin. Wicked people do wicked things because that's their nature. That's all they know how to do. You ain't going to ever hear a dog meow or a cat bark. And if you can handle the truth this morning, I'll tell you what it is. The Bible teaches us that God doesn't judge a nation because of the wickedness that's in it or the evil people that's in it. God judges a nation because of the righteous people that don't do right. Amen. Christians that fail to live right and do right. That's what gets a nation judged. Can you handle that truth this morning? Brother Hagin told us years ago that if God has to judge a nation, he will hold the church responsible. And speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, God told Abraham, if I can find just 10 righteous people, I'll spare both Sodom and Gomorrah. Show me 10 righteous people. Show me 10 people that are doing and being right, and I'll spare Sodom and Gomorrah. He couldn't show them 10 people. He spared Lot because Lot was halfway righteous, but he put up with that stuff when he should have left a long time ago. He adapted to their ways when he, when he should have left a long time ago. But God spared them out of mercy. But God couldn't find five righteous in that city. So Sodom and Gomorrah didn't get destroyed because of the wickedness of the people or the evil that was in their cities. They got destroyed because God couldn't find five righteous Christians doing what they say they're supposed to do. Let me bring it closer. God doesn't judge a house because of the wickedness or the evil that's in the house. He judges a nation or a house because of the people that are living in it that claim to be righteous and don't do right. All right, thanks for the two amens anyway. Maybe that's the reason those people weren't getting blessed. Maybe that's the reason some of our people ain't getting blessed. (laughs) Really getting quiet now, Pastor. At least their wicked neighbors weren't hypocrites. Did I say that out loud? I was thinking it. but And I believe that God is harder on those that claim to be righteous but don't live righteous than he is on wicked people for that reason. They ain't hypocrites. And I think he should be, don't you? Amen. 
I mean, you know, I judge my kids harder than I would other kids. I expect more from them. Same with my grandkids. I keep telling Brother Daryl and Shannon, I don't know if they do it or not, but I don't show Ethan no favoritism because he's our grandkid. Matter of fact, be harder on him. Amen. <laughs> you want to get judged? Claim to be righteous and then live like the devil. Jeremiah has pleaded the people's case before God, mostly his case, I think. And afterwards, he rests his case. In other words, he finally shut his mouth and let God talk. And so God talks in verse 5. He begins to answer Jeremiah. And this is what he said. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trusted they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of the Jordan? I mean, if you can't walk across the Jordan when it's ankle deep, don't try it when it's neck high and it's rushing like a mighty bull. So God answers Jeremiah's question with a question. He said, if you run with the footmen and they wore you out, then how are you going to contend with the horses? Wait a minute, what footmen? What horses? I don't know what you're talking about, God. But this is, in essence, what God is saying to Jeremiah and the Jewish people. He said, the problems that you're facing, your day-to-day things, the circumstances that you face, the challenges that you face, the mountains and the giants in your life is nothing but a footman. It ain't a big deal. It's not as big a deal as you're making out of it. And, and you know, there's a lot of them running in the race. Now, I, I did some research on this passage of Scripture here. And some scholars believe he's talking about foot soldiers and cavalry horsemen. I couldn't see it in here. It's possible because there's a lot, a lot of preachers out there smarter than me. But I think he's talking more about a race. In other words, he's saying, if you can't race with the footmen, those that are on foot, how are you going to race with the horses? How are you going to contend with the horses? But it's like one problem after another, and it seems like it never ends. I'm running, but I, I got people in front of me. I pass one, and I got another one to pass, and I pass him, and I got another one to pass, and it never ends. Keep running. It's one problem after another, one challenge after another, one circumstance after another, one bill after another. I just get the light bill paid and the water bill comes in. One thing after another. You're running your best and you're passing the runners, but they never end. And you might think you're going through some big problems, but God is telling you, they're just footmen. I'm trying to prepare you for the horsemen. Uh, drill sergeant, he's trying to prepare us for the horses. That's why he's laying all these footmen on you. If you can't defeat the footmen, you're never going to run with the horses. Push them harder. And besides that, if you're running with footmen, you ought to be praising God for it because you are developing strength and endurance. You're getting stronger by the minute. And you're getting bigger by the minute, and you're conquering these problems one right after another so that when the horses come, you'll be able to contend with them. Right now, you ain't ready to contend with them because you whine and complain when you break a fingernail. You got to be bigger than that, stronger than that. So I'm going to get a drill sergeant hat next week, and I'm going to push you like I was pushed. I mean, that's what that drill sergeant was training us for we thought everything in boot camp was hard but it was nothing compared to the horses we were going to be contending with later these footmen just seem to keep coming and they never end i mean you get the furnace fixed and the hot water tank breaks down uh you get that fixed and the car breaks down you get that fixed and the kids go crazy in school you get that straightened out and before the ink dried on that paper yeah, they need new shoes it's just one footman after another. But God is saying these are just little problems compared to what's coming down the pike. Get ready. 
Little demons. Little demons. Two foot tall, green, snotty noses and cross eyes messing you up and wearing you out. But they don't have the power or the authority to kill you. People hurt your feelings, footmen problem. Lied on your footmen, mistreated you, footmen. Kids getting in trouble at school, footmen. Struggling to pay the light bill, footmen. Marriage issues, footmen problems. The trials that we're facing right now are preparation for future trials. The training is preparing you for the battle uh, that you'll soon be facing. And, you know, if you can't run with the footmen because they wore you out, how are you going to contend with the horses when they come? If you don't have enough faith to get a headache healed, if you can't believe God for $100 or a $20 ticket to the banquet, what are you going to do when you have to believe him for $1,000 or $10,000? God's preparing you. And, you know, when I was in boot camp, I complained for a while. It took me about at least three weeks to to get a clue. (laughs) I complained. I whined. I even thought about going AWOL. (laughs) That's how bad it was. But we need to stop complaining and stop whining. Start trusting God. He's going to get us through. And remember, he's preparing us for the horses. They're coming. And if, he's saying if, if running with the footmen wore you out, how are you going to contend with the horses? I said this last week and probably before that, but the problem with this generation is they want something for nothing. Amen. They want the rewards without the work. Yes. And they want it right now. But the Bible gives us example after example of people that were blessed but had to go through something first. Before they got blessed, they had to go through the footmen. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, lied on by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison, forgotten by his jailmates, and all of that just so God could elevate him to be second in command of all the land of Egypt, right next to Pharaoh. But he had to run with the footmen first. And now he's running with the horsemen. He's running with the horse. He never thought he'd get there, but he's running with the horsemen. Hallelujah. The three Hebrew children. They had to run through some footmen. They had to go through the fiery furnace before they could run with the horses. Daniel had to be thrown in the lion's den before he could run with the horses. A woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. Seen all kinds of doctors spend all her money, footmen, yeah. running with the footmen all that time. And then, and then all of a sudden she, she hears about Jesus and she goes to the meeting yeah. and she's running with the footmen and she's passing one footman after another. And she's press, pressing through in the crowd. Finally, she gets to Jesus and touches the hem of his garment and she's healed and made whole. Yes. Footmen. Now she's running with the horses. Now she's running with the horses. But if she didn't do what she did, go through what she went through, she would have never been ready for the horses when they came. She'd have gave up a long time ago and died. Hallelujah. Every one of them had to go through something. Why do we think we don't have to go through something and God's just going to pour out blessings on us? God wants to bless you, but he can't remove the footmen. You got to pass them up. And then stay out in front of them. Don't let them pass you again. The problem with this generation is they want the blessing, but they don't want the challenge. They don't want to run with the footmen, and they want to just start running with the horses, and they're getting run over. You can't run with the horses. I'll tell you one saying that the drill sergeants used to have, and uh, we went to a men's meeting last year, and he, the, the instructor was a drill sergeant with the Marines. And he'd say, suck it up, buttercup. That's what he used to tell his men when they were whining and complaining. And, and, and you know, in other words, he'd say, 
Make up your mind that you ain't whining and complaining anymore, and you're going to do what you need to do. You're going you're gonna to run with the footmen and overtake them, and you're going to keep doing it because you're not going to quit until you get to the horses and start running with the horses. Amen. The horses are coming. Yes, they are. But the horses ain't a bad thing. Nope. I mean, uh, let me tell you something about horses. They're strong. Yes. They're fast. They can endure long distances. I mean, a, a horse can run three to five miles at full speed, not just a trot or a gallop. I'm talking full speed. Uh, and, and they can run in hot or cold. I've seen a, the, on Fox News this Trump calls him Rocket Man, uh, John Oong or whatever the name is in North Korea. Uh, or Yeah, North Korea. And he's riding a white stallion, beautiful white stallion. It's about 20, 20 degrees below zero, and, and it's all propaganda. But he's riding this, this white stallion up the, this holy hill, a holy mountain to this holy site. I don't know what, I guess they believe in Buddha or whatever, but he's riding him up that hill. And I'm telling you, that horse looked powerful and the steam coming out of his noses and stuff, you know. And he's just riding that horse. How I many know riding a horse is better than walking? <laughs> But he did it for several miles, I guess. And, and, and this is in freezing cold, but that horse can run. And if it's hot, I've seen him running in the Sahara Desert. And another thing about horses is they rest standing up. <laughs> Think about it a minute. They rest standing up. They sleep standing up. God asked this question. How can you contend with the horses? And for him to even ask the question implies that it must be possible for us to contend with the horses. Yes, sir. Or why would he say, how are you going to contend with the horses if it wasn't possible? Right. But I learned that it's not possible for a man or a woman to contend with a horse. It has to be done by the anointing of God. I mean, stop and think about it in a minute. Now, Candy and Paul got horses, and Candy can train the horse and control the horse and ride the horse and get it to go where she wants it to go and get it to stop and get it to go. But when it comes to contending with the horse, she can't contend with it. If you place her and the horse alongside each other in a race, she can't contend with it. If you give her a rope and tie it on that horse and tell her to pull that horse across the line, she can't contend with it. But God says that he'll make a way for us to contend with the horses. Even when we don't think we can contend with them, we can contend with them when God is in the middle of it. Hallelujah. You know, you've seen me limping around here for months. I mean, I... I hurt my back last June, had a pinched nerve down my leg. I couldn't walk long, I couldn't stand long, and I couldn't sit long. I was a miserable human being for months. Finally, I give in and said, well, let's go and get this surgery over with. I get to see the doctor. He says, I, you have some herniated discs, but I think we can correct them with some therapy. So that was really kind of bittersweet to me. I figured a surgery and it's over with, you know, boom, I'm on my way. But therapy, that's going to take longer, and it's going to be harder work. Footmen. But I've been in therapy. I went to professional therapy for three weeks. I arrived early. I did everything they told me to, even when I thought I couldn't do it. I pushed further. They said, do this ten times, three, three sets of ten. I was wore out by the, uh, number 15 or number five in the second set. But I pushed and I got all three sets done. I did everything they told me to. I was sore every day. Sometimes I had therapy two days in a row. But they trained me. They're training me to do therapy at home. So then I get home now. I've been doing therapy at home. So I've been doing therapy for like five weeks. It's been hard work. It's been running with the footmen. One challenge after another. Passing one at a time. But now. <laughs> now. I'm running with the horses. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm running with the horses. I feel great. I feel, I'm sore, but I feel great. I ain't had that pain down my leg since I've been doing it. Hallelujah. 
In the natural, we can't contend with horses. But when God is in your life and your situation, he'll, he'll, he'll anoint you so you'll succeed supernaturally. You remember Elijah said he girded up his, lane, his, his uh, loins and he outran the king's chariot all the way to Jezreel, about 50 miles from Mount Carmel. And he outrun the king's chariots. And how many knows the king had the best horses? Just like that Kim Jong-un, he had that white charger, that white stallion. The king had four of them. And Elijah said, right on by, I see it. I see in Jezreel. Why? God anointed him. Hallelujah. There's a lot of things in life that I could do in the natural with my own physical ability. I'm not helpless. You're not helpless. But time after time in my life, God caused me to do things that I, in the natural, was incapable of doing. When I started working for UPS, I started out as a grunt. They called us grunts, delivering packages. And then I was asked to go into supervision. Well, you know, packages, that's footmen. I run with the footmen. And then I was asked if I wanted to go into supervision. In the natural, I wasn't qualified, uh, but God anointed me, and I was able to be a supervisor, and I, I did things all the time that I wasn't qualified to do, and I could have talked myself out of it, but every challenge that came to me, I just ran right over it. Then they started moving me up the ladder. I could tell you some stories, but I'm going to make a long story short because there on Shannon went too long on praise and worship, and I'm running out. <laughs> but I ended up being a district safety manager for Metro Chicago, and I was responsible for the safety and training of over 5,000 employees. A high school barely graduated, and I was, uh, had that responsibility. That job requires a college degree today. And I didn't have one. But I worked alongside of and even had under me all kinds of college graduates that were coming in. They were hiring them one right after another. They used to hire them from the ranks and train them. Now they're getting them out of college and they were dumber than a door stump. And, and they're trying to train them, but they already know everything, so you can't teach them nothing. And some of them even graduated with distinction. Now I'm their boss. Barely made it out of high school. And some of them graduated cum laude, summa cum laude, and magna cum laude. And like I said, it took me five years to graduate high school, but I, I graduated thank you laude. I'm telling you, running with the horses. I was running with the horses. But I didn't start running with the horses. You might not be smart enough. You might not be educated enough. You might not be fast enough, and you might be too young or you might be too old. But don't let the devil talk you out of your dreams. Don't let the devil talk you out of your vision. Because if you run with the footmen long enough, they won't weary you anymore. And then you'll just run right past them footmen and start running with the horses. Running with the horses. I'm running with the horses. Hallelujah. God called us to be pastors. I said, I can't be no pastor. I don't know nothing about nothing. He says, go to Ramah. I said, I ain't going. He said, go to Ramah. I went. I come out of Ramah, and I was pushing and running with the footmen, and then all of a sudden, I got a church. I'm running with the horsemen. I'm running with the horsemen. Hallelujah. You can run with the horsemen, too. Amen. The devil is a lie. Elijah, you can have a house. Latoya, you can have a house. You can have an education. You don't need one, but you can have one. <laughs> the world wants you to have an education. I realize that. Now, I'm not against school. I'm against schools that don't teach you nothing. That's what I'm against. Jeroboo, you can graduate. Magna cum laude if you want to. Or you can be like me and just graduate. Thank you, Lordy. But you can do it. I, you know, Pastor, I said, we need to have a different attitude in 2020. This is what I'm telling you. Don't put limitations on yourself. Tell God, God, in my natural self, I can't do this. 
But with you, all things are possible. I can't contend with a horse on my own. I can't be a manager at United Parcel Service. But with you, I can run with the horses. Hallelujah. Let's stand up. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. Thank you, Lord, that you will enable us to contend with horses. It ain't enough for us just run with the footmen. We got to run past those footmen. Run over them problems, Lord. Run over them challenges. Take them giants down. Run through them mountains, Lord. Hallelujah. Because when we get to the other side, we'll be running with the horses. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, that we can run with horses. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have limitations. I thank you that we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us up. Hallelujah. There is no challenge too big, no mountain too high, no river too wide. As long as we're doing it in you, you can cause us to do supernaturally, above and beyond all that we could ask or think. So we thank you, we praise you, we give you honor and glory. And Lord, I ask you personally for these people. I speak on their behalf. I'll be their Jeremiah today, Lord. I ask you to lift them up. I ask you to push them through. I ask you to elevate them, Lord. Be the lifter of their heads, God. And that, uh, that one that's being passed over at work and, and missing the promotions, missing the raises, God, I ask you to make them stand up and stand out, Lord. Shine a light on them, sir. Next time one of these opportunities come along, the boss has to see them because they're, they're glowing, Lord, with the glory of God. Lord, just give them that extra push, that extra thing that they need, the encouragement they, they need to make it up and make it through. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.